Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Let's go ahead and get into our teaching this morning. We are um, we're doing a series of teaching, a theme that we're calling Christianity All Natural. And if you haven't been with us for a while, and if you're getting your Bibles out, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to start. Um, we, we, they, all this is on the podcast. In fact, I don't know what's happening with the podcast, guys, uh, and I keep saying this each week, but when I checked it yesterday, there was, in the last 30 days, 2,700 listens to our podcast. A month ago, it was, what, 700? So I don't know what's going on, but somebody's listening, and hopefully it makes sense to them uh, because something's happening with that. And so uh, praise the Lord for it. But um, if, you, if you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, you know, please go to the podcast, and you can, list, you can uh, check out what we've said. I'm not going to summarize everything we've talked about. But basically, our effort, our desire is this. You know, over 2,000 years, uh, we, we, can, uh, we can be in agreement that things have been added to uh, the gospel. Things have been added to what uh, Jesus and his apostles declared the gospel to be. Um, different denominations add different things, different groups, different uh, sections of people over 2,000 years. Uh, some have added major, major, major things. Others have added little tiny things, but sometimes it's the little foxes. It's the little things that spoil everything. You could be 99% right on, and then that one little piece of, of error. What's that phrase you always say, Jim? The uh, little fly in the ointment. Yes, yeah, that fly. The ointment's great, but then you got that fly in there that just ruins it all. And so what we are endeavoring to do is just to try to peel back 2,000 years of add-ons, 2,000 years of, of church history that has potentially added on to this thing of the finished work of Christ so that we can just discover what Christianity really is without all the add-ons. And for some of us, it makes perfect sense because it bears witness with our spirit. And it's like, wow, this is exactly right on with, with what I've, uh, I, I've thought my whole life. I just haven't heard it. I, I actually, a lady told me that. This is exactly what I've thought my whole life. I just haven't heard anybody say these things. Um, for others, it's, it sounds a little off. It sounds a little weird because we haven't heard some of these things, but they've been written in our Bibles for the better part of 2,000 years. But for whatever reason, we just don't take it for what it actually is saying because, again, of add-ons from the years. And so we're talking a lot about our identity. We talked about the fact two weeks ago that we actually have died and that's huge, the fact that we have already died. If you are in Christ, you were crucified with Christ. And that's a big Galatians 2.20 bumper sticker, you know, coffee mug, you know, T-shirt. I've been crucified with Christ. But I think, unfortunately, that just becomes sort of pithy, you know, phrases. I've been crucified with Christ. But what that actually means is that you actually were crucified with Christ. You died. The old man has been crucified, cut out, dead. Remember we talked about we don't die daily in the sense of the inner man dying. Paul says he dies daily because he was being persecuted and literally being chased out of town by wild animals. He's like, I face death every single day. But we've turned that into saying like, well, I need to die every single day to sin. I need to die. I need to die. No, we died once and for all because Christ died once and for all. We can, we can work on that a little bit. Um, and so last week we talked about how we have been raised with Christ, a whole new man, a whole new person. We've been raised as a new creation, and our life is actually hidden in Christ. And that thought that we looked at in, Col in Colossians 3 where he says, 
that our life is now hidden in Christ. And the word that we get in English is encrypted. It's, it's in there. You can't really see it very well at all unless you know the encryption. And God is the one who can see it perfectly. But we are hidden in Christ. And when Christ is revealed, meaning when, when we get to know who Christ is, when he's revealed, it says we are revealed which means we are so one with him when we get to know Christ, we actually get to know who we now are in him. So when we get to know the righteousness of Christ, guess what that means we're getting to know about our new man, our new heart. We're getting to know our righteousness. And we think, oh, wait a second, no, 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 no. I'm filthy rags. Isaiah says we're filthy rags. Our righteousness is filthy rags. You can't say that we have the righteousness of God. It's like, yeah, our righteousness was filthy rags. The old man. And that's the whole point of the cross. That's the whole point of Jesus coming so that the entire Adamic race, and we'll see it in our text this morning, was put to death in Christ so that as we who believe in him are raised a whole new creation. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's actually in our text this morning. But if we don't see that we are hidden in him and whatever fits him fits us, then we'll never see what our true identity is. To which we say, I can't see that. To which we're going to see this morning in our text, yeah, of course you can't see it with your eyeballs. But there's something else to look at. And with that in mind, let's pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And if you have your uh, phone, we have the Bible app on your phone. If you go to the Bible app and click on more, I think it's more, and then click on events, You'll actually have all of the sermon notes. You'll, you'll see it. It says Life Journey Church. It's all there for you to follow along. So Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians in verse 4, sorry, in chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 16. He's writing about how there's this amazing treasure of a new heart, a new man in him, the, the new heart, and it's surrounded by, as he says in verse 7, which we're not going to go back to, but in 7 he says that it's surrounded by um, a jar of clay. And the idea is we have this new creation that is housed inside of the old creation. And the old creation is being persecuted. As I just said earlier, he's being run out of do- dogs <laughs> by cities. He's being run out of cities by dogs. He's uh, being persecuted. The outer man is suffering. In fact, later on, I think it's chapter 11 or 12, he actually lists off all the things that he's been through because of the gospel, all the physical torment that he's been through. But the outer man is, is being persecuted and persecuted, but he's saying there's something else. There's a new man. There's an inner man that's being renewed day by day. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Oh, I'm running the slides. I forgot. Uh, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man. Okay, so what is the outer man? That's what you can see. That's the body. Our outer man is decaying, and, and, and some faster than others. Again, Paul was beaten within inches of his life several times. But even if you're not beaten in inches of your life, we all know that the outer man is decaying, okay? No matter how old you are, you can look back to yesterday or 10 years ago and say, wow, yeah, my outer man definitely is a little bit uh, older and grayer and heavier and slower and, you know, fill in all the blanks. What else, Jim? Uh, More painful. And (laughs) Jim's got a crazy knee problem that he can't get rid of. But uh, as we get old, the outer man is decaying. I mean, is anybody going to argue with that? We can all testify, even those in our 30s. We can still testify, not quite like Jim can, but we are still can tell. I'm picking on Jim for some reason. But, uh, But he says, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so here's what we've got to see. If, if we don't see that there's something beyond the flesh, if we don't see that there is a whole other reality of an inner person, an inner man, then we're not going to see really what Jesus came to do. Because what Jesus came to do, as we saw last week in Colossians 3, was to cut out the old dead heart that came from Adam to crucify it and actually birth a brand new heart, a brand new creation within. This is the inner man. So Paul sees us as outer man, which we can describe as the body, the flesh, and then he, and he, has, he talks about the inner man, the spirit, the soul. And he's saying our spirit, our soul is being renewed day by day. And 
in other letters, he talks about how it's being renewed into the very image of God, the very image that it was created by. And so there's these two universes, these two realms that have converged. When Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, this other realm, this other reality will be within you, he was serious. And this is what Paul's talking about. Another reality, another world is actually within us, the new heart, the new man that we cannot see, but it's there nonetheless. And Paul says that this momentary light affliction, and if you want to read what he defines as momentary light affliction, go to chapter 12 or whatever it is where he's talking about being shipwrecked, being beaten within, his, uh, uh, within, within death by a few uh, whips, uh, being uh, be eaten by dogs, you know, all this stuff. And he calls that light momentary afflictions. And I'm like, yeah, that would not categorize, categorize for me light momentary afflictions. But that's what he calls them. Because he sees something so much bigger. He says these light, momentary afflictions, they're producing something. They're producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And so this idea of producing is preparing something. There's something that this outer decay, whether it just be by age, by, by you know, just growing older, or whether in Paul's context of actual persecution against his body, He's saying it's producing something. It's preparing him for something. Well, what is it producing? What is this eternal weight of glory? And what's neat is this is present tense. It is producing something for right now, not just for tomorrow, but it's producing something right now. And we see what that is here in a few verses. While we look not on the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I put these in red so we can kind of see this comparison he's talking about here. He says, let us not gaze, let us not look. We don't look at that which is seen because that which is seen, if we're all together, is what? Starts with a T up there. Temporal. The seen is temporary. Okay, so... He's been talking about the outer man. We'll we'll put the outer man over here. We'll put the inner man over there in a minute. Which one is seen, the outer man or the inner man? The outer man. And this outer man is temporal. It's temporary. Everything that is seen with our eyeballs is temporary. As wonderful as this planet is and this universe is, it's temporary. It has an end date. But he says there's something else going on. Let's don't focus on what is seen, the outer man, the body, sin that lives in the flesh, but let's get our eyes on something we cannot see. And isn't that a little bit strange to hear? I mean, let's hear what he says. Let us look at that which cannot be seen. Now, come on, Paul. You know, I thought you were kind of a smart guy. How can you look at something that you can't see? Well, obviously, Paul's not talking about his what? His eyeballs. He's not talking about his eyeballs here. He's talking about something so much bigger, which we'll get into as we move forward in these verses. So over here, you've got the inner man. Is the inner man visible or invisible to to our eyeballs? Invisible. You can't see it. So what he is saying, let's follow this, because if we don't, like, lay this groundwork, we're not going to get the rest of it. The outer man, it's visible. You can see it. But he says, don't set your eyes there. Don't gaze. Don't define your identity. Don't discover your identity in what can be seen. But look at that which is unseen. Look through the veil of the flesh and look within and see the reality of a new man, an inner man that has actually already been hidden with Christ, joined to him, a brand new creation, and set your eyes there. Again, not your eyeballs, because they can't see in that spectrum, in that realm. But he's talking about setting your, your mind, setting your focus, setting your attention on that which is eternal, the inner man. For, verse chapter 5, we're going to go over into chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, okay, which one is the earthly tent? Is that the outer man or the inner man? The outer man. So over if the earthly tent, which is our house, talking about right now, if it is torn down, okay, what is he talking about? He's talking about death. He's talking about, you know, even his own persecution that he's facing. But if our outer 
tent, our house, so it's the earthly tent, if it's going to be torn down, we have a building from God which is made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. So let's compare this. He's still talking about seen versus unseen. The earthly tent. When you think of a tent, do you think of something that you are going to live in for a really, really, really long time? Or you think about something that you may be on a weekend, maybe a day or two, maybe a week if you're crazy, maybe you set it up and then the rains come and then it all, you know, gets soaking wet, which happened to heart this week. Are you thinking of tent? You thinking of a permanent building? No. You thinking of, what's that T word from the last chapter? Temporary. Something just for a minute, something just for a moment. And he's saying, if that earthly tent gets torn down, and it will, well, don't lose heart because we have a building. See the comparison he's doing? A building, is that temporary? No, a building, that's something that gives the vibe of permanence. I don't want to live in a tent the next 30 years, so we bought a house. We bought a building. And so we live in a building, we live in a house. And so he's comparing this temporary seen versus a permanent unseen. And if this temporary body fails, and it will, don't lose heart because there's a building. There's an outer man to come that, will, that was not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. For indeed, now again, we, you don't even have to be a believer to believe verse 2. For indeed, in this house, he's over here talking about the tent, this earthly dwelling, for in this house we groan. <laughs> I mean, I took several, I'm young. I took several ibuprofen last night when I got home, heart. You know, I was tired. I, my, my joints were hurting from being up on my feet, literally, from like 6 o'clock yesterday morning all the way to, you know, whenever we got home and in bed around 1 o'clock. It was, I was tired. I should have taken some this morning. I'll take some this afternoon. But we groan. Our bodies ache as they get older. We don't have to be Christians to believe this verse of Scripture. But he's saying we groan in this house, this earthly tent, this body, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We want this temporary body to be replaced with a body that will never hurt, it will never fade, it will never grow old, it will never be in, in pain. And one of the reasons, <laughs> one of the reasons why we want this so much isn't just because of the physical elements of the body, but I think it's really because of the power of sin that lives in the body. I mean, no matter how much we want because of our new heart to do what God desires of us to do, to live righteously, no matter how much we want to do that, there's always in this world, in our flesh, in our mortal members, the power of sin. And so what I hear Paul saying is not just the pain that our bodies cause and all the ibuprofen we have to take, but also because there's this power of sin that rests in us, that lives in our bodies, that is always drawing us and tempting us to do what sin wants to do. And we don't want to do that because we're born of God, but there's these temptations that exist within us. And so we groan, we long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, once we put it on, we won't be found naked. And I just think it's amazing that Paul sees not being clothed with the outer man, the new outer man to come that matches up the, with the inner man that already has been righteous, I, I find it amazing that he considers it being naked. We're kind of, in a sense right now, in some borrowed clothes, in some temporary clothes. We're like in a, in a bathrobe right now with this outer man fading as it is, and one day we'll be clothed with the right outer man, the right clothing. For while we are in this tent, verse 4, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but rather we want to be clothed. And I love this. He says, so that what is mortal, which is mortal, the, the outer man, right? The outer man is mortal. So that which is mortal, the outer man, will be swallowed up by life. So there's a day coming when the outer man will actually be replaced. His verbiage swallowed up with life. Now, 
Craig just said this verse actually a minute ago. He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So the Spirit's work of giving us a new heart, this new inner man, is a deposit of sorts. It's it's a deposit. It's here's this money, in a sense, showing that I'm going to come back and pay the rest. So we have this new inner man sealed by the Spirit that is a deposit guaranteeing that one day there's going to be a perfected outer man when this current outer man fades off. You know, it reminds me a lot of a seed. You know, Jesus talks about the mustard seed. You know, why is the mustard seed so powerful, so awesome, the faith of the mustard seed? Well, think about the mustard seed. It's the tiniest of all the seeds. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, he wasn't lying. I mean, it's tiny. It's no more, it's no bigger than like a, a grain of sand. It's really small. But there's a difference between a grain of sand or a coarse grain of salt and a mustard seed. And the difference is that there's life inside of that mustard seed. On the outside, they look the same, but there's difference. There's life inside of that mustard seed. And so you, pl- you plant that grain course of sand into the ground, you water it, nothing's going to come forth. But you pray, place the, the mustard seed in, you water it, and something comes forth because there's actually life within. And that's what I hear Paul comparing this to. There's this outer man, like the shell, like the seed of the, must- of the seed that is here, but when it fades off, it, when it comes off when it dies it will reveal this outer this new man that is actually within and the spirit's work was put in us as a pledge for this day that would come so verse 6 says be take courage always being of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body over here in the body in the flesh the outer man we are absent from the Lord. And I find this peculiar too because it's like, I, wait a second, absent from the Lord? I thought that we were one with him. I thought we had been joined to him. How can we be absent from the Lord if the whole gospel is that we've been made one with him? Well, certainly in the inner man, we've been made one with him, but he's not talking about that here. He's talking about the body. He's talking about physically. He's talking about in the presence of, in a physical sense. It hasn't happened. For, look at this, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is the crux of the whole deal. We have this new man within us, a new heart that is housed still in this outer man, the shell of the, the, the first creation. And what Paul is saying is that, listen, we have to walk by faith of something else, someone else that lives within us, another creation, a new man that lives within. Otherwise, we're just going to be walking by the sight of what we can see. What does it look like to walk by sight? To walk by sight is to look in the mirror and see the flesh and see all the things that we've done, to see all the stupid choices that we've made, to see how sin has manifested itself in our lives for years and years and years, and then to define us as, well, sinner. Well, I'm dirty, rotten, scoundrel. That's walking by sight what we see defining who we are. I'm abandoned. I'm a divorcee. I'm married. I'm this. Those things defining from the outside in who we are. That's walking by sight. He's saying, let's don't do that. So let's walk by faith. Let's look at what is within and let what is within actually define who we are and how we walk and how we live. It's by faith that we trust in what he's actually made us. It's by faith that we end up over here seeing the unseen. I could sum up, I think, the Christian life as simply the daily journey of living in this world called planet Earth, life as we know it, with the confidence of what he has made us already in another world. So let me say it again. Walking by faith, living by faith, is living in this world with a confidence of who we already are in another place, in another world. So what do we know about this inner man? We know that this inner man, who we are in the spirit, is righteous, holy, clean, beloved, 
uh, rescued, redeemed, forgiven. We know who we are in the inner man. Living by faith is standing here and saying, I'm not going to see the flesh, see this world, and then define who I am. I'm going to look beyond it and see an inner man, see who I truly am in Christ, and that's how I'm going to define who I am. That's where my identity comes from, and I'm going to live in this world based off of that reality instead of this. Because if I believe that I'm dirty, rotten, sinful, the, 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 a worm, etc., well, if that's what I see and that's what I think I am and believe myself to be, then how do you think I'm going to behave? Dirty, rotten, sinful, scoundrel, etc. But if I look within and I see the true nature of my heart that I have been made that I've been born again, I've been created in the image of God in true holiness and true righteousness, Ephesians 4.24, and I see within and see the true nature of my heart that he has created me now to be in Christ, well, guess if my eyes are looking there, look not at that which is seen, but that which is unseen, if I actually am dwelling and believing who I actually am in Christ, well, then guess how I'm going to end up walking? Does that make sense? So my walk isn't an effort. My walk is an outflow of my faith and trusting who I actually am. But if we never look beyond the veil, if we never look through this flesh, through the seen to see the unseen, then we're just going to be trying to do this religious rat race of just trying to do better and try harder to just correct behavior. That's not Christianity. That's what it's kind of become in religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is don't look at what is seen, but look through to what is unseen and live in that reality. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, verse 8. And I say, and prefer, uh, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body so that we can be home with the Lord. So he's saying, we long for that day to come, but it hasn't come yet for him at this point when he's writing. Now, eventually did. It hasn't come for us as long as you're, you know, still have a pulse going on. We're still in this condition of a new heart, a new inner man still housed by this jar of clay. So it appears to me, see how he says to be absent from the body is now to be at home with the Lord. So he's been talking about the outer man, the temporary outer man, and this future, permanent, eternal outer man to come. Then he says that we don't want to be with the old outer man that was over there, but we, want, we long to be with the Lord in this new body, this new place. And I just want to maybe stand over on the side, because I don't know if this is right or not, but it just dawned on me this week when I was looking at this. Let's think about the inner man. The inner man. He said last week that it is hidden with Christ. The outer man and Christ himself, I mean the inner man. The inner man and Christ himself are one. Correct? Is that what the scripture teaches? We are one with him in the spirit. What I think he's saying here is that just as the inner man, our new heart, is one with Christ already, there's going to day come when the outer man dies that our new outer man, the new body, is just as one with Christ as our inner man is already one with Christ. And that might not be a big deal to you, but Growing up, I always thought heaven was going to be like, you know, you're strolling through, you know, doing all this kind of cool stuff, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, he's, he's over there. Hey, Jesus, what's up, you know, like, and that'd be awesome. If that's the way it is, I'm not going to complain one bit. But what I'm seeing him saying is that the new body is actually this thing that's actually with the Lord. So the new body is something that is equally fused, equally one, equally joined to the to Christ himself as the inner man is. And I find that profound because this thing of heaven now takes on this whole new, this whole new meaning of not just strolling through the you know, beautiful roads of glory, but it's actually an intimacy, a oneness where not just in spirit, but actually in a new body, 
we are fused together with Christ in all ways. Just amazing. And so verse 9 says, Therefore, because of all this, because we walk by faith and not by sight, we also have as our ambition, whether at home in these temporary bodies or absent when we're with him, to be pleasing to him. And we can pull this little verse out of all the context in which we find it, and we can say, see, God is desiring us to live pleasing lives, and let me define what a pleasing life is. You read your Bible every day. You go to church every week. You memorize a scripture verse or two every other day. You this, you that. You put this list together. And if you're not doing those, then guess what? You're not what? Pleasing to God. Well, let us use our little, you know, gray matter things between these lobes, these earlobes, and let's think in context, like context, like two verses ago. What did he say we are to walk by and not by? Faith. And so what does it look like to live a life pleasing to the Lord? A life that is walked and lived by faith. How do we know that? Well, the context says that, but Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's not simply, hey, let me find out all the things I should do and not do. Let's make a list, let's check it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice and do our best to try to live up to it. It is, let us walk actually by faith, believing who we actually are in the inner man and believe it so much that it actually pours out into our daily life. So I look at the inner man, I see who I truly am. I see that I am the righteousness of God. I see that, that the very love of Christ is actually shed abroad in my heart and I believe it and I receive it to the point where now in this world I see somebody's hurting. I say, man, I want to actually love this guy. I actually want to serve him. I actually want to do something for him. Not in order to be pleasing, but because I'm living so convinced of who I really am, the new man, that it actually pours out into this life. That's living by faith. And that is what's pleasing to God. It's not the actions. It's not the simple actions. I mean, who of all the people in the New Testament had all the actions down? Starts with a PH. Pharisees. That PH? Yeah. Yeah. Pharisees. Look at pharmacy. That's PH too. But the Pharisees. They had all the actions down. They did it all right. But was any of it by faith? No, it was all by sight. They were just trying their best to do what was written in their traditions and in the laws. And so what what Jesus is, or what Paul is saying is that this is what's pleasing to God. It's not trying to find a bunch of rules. Remember the statistic that we've said a bunch. Uh, 81% of Christianity simply reads through the Bible, tries to find the rules listed, and do their best to live up to them. That's not the gospel. The gospel is actually gazing within, looking not at what is seen, but that which is unseen, and being so convinced of who we truly are that we're actually willing to walk in it. That's what's pleasing to God because that's trust. If you've had a son or a daughter, you know how much it is enjoying to you, how much enjoyment it brings to you when they actually believe you, when they actually trust you, when they actually listen to you. So how much more is it actually pleasing to the Lord when we actually just listen to him, when we actually take him at face value for what he says who we are in the new heart, in the new man. This is what's pleasing to him. Jesus actually said in Luke 18, verse 8, he says, when the Son of Man, talking about himself, return, will I not find faith? Will I not find faith among the earth? So what's pleasing to the Son of Man, what's pleasing to the Father, what's pleasing to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is when we just simply believe him. And I know that sounds so simple, But you know what? Maybe over 2,000 years, we've made this thing of Christianity a lot more complex than it really is. Maybe it's actually, let's just see who we really are and walk as we are. But if we're looking at the outer man, then we're not going to see who we really are. I hope this is making sense. Because when we get to verse 10, here's a verse. If you don't see it in its context, it will trip you up so much that you will face plant and not ever stand back up again. For we all, Paul says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or evil. 
Now, we've just been reading all this amazing, fantastic stuff, and now all of a sudden we hear Paul saying that we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed. That means be paid back for what we've done in this body over here. And that throws great concern. That throws great breaks being applied to the gospel of grace that says it is what? Finished. That says we have been Another F, forgiven. Well, wait a second here. Have we been forgiven or are we going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed for all we've done in this body? That certainly is what it sounds like he says. Anybody else think it says something different? I mean, that's what it says. Recompense for what we've done in this body, whether good or evil. Well, one of the worst things you can do is just take a single verse out of his context and not continue reading. That is one of the worst things you can do. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, there is a whole other reality. We got the outer man, we got the inner man. There's a whole other reality that you do not see. There's an inner man that has been, if you believe in Christ, been made righteous, holy, clean. And if you don't look beyond to see the new heart, the new man, or the condition of the old heart, if you're not a believer yet, then you're not going to see what the re, what reality really is. Because, see, we can do so many good things. Again, go back to the Pharisees. We can do so many good things in the body. But is the body what counts? Or is it the heart that, that is the issue? Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him, what's already in that defiles him, that reveals how defiled he already is. And so the heart of the issue is the heart itself. And so... This one verse has tripped up so many believers into thinking that one day, believers, we will stand before Jesus and we will be uh, recompensed, paid back for all the sinning that we've done in the body. Well, if that's true, if Christians will stand before Jesus and be recompensed for all that we have done in the body, then really what we can do is we can just throw away the gospel. We can throw away the cross. We can throw away this whole thing of forgiveness because what in the world is the cross for if we are going to be paid back for what we've done in the body? You see this? What did Jesus, what was he beaten for? What was he pierced for? What was he scourged for? What did he die for? If, what did he pay if we're going to be picking up the check one day? So I must suggest to you that what Paul is saying, which was going to be very clear in a few verses, for we must all appear, all, he's talking about all humanity. Every single person is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's not talking about just all Christians. He's talking about all people. Every single person is going to stand before Jesus And there's going to be a revelation. There's going to be, in this moment, an unveiling of what's really going on. There's going to be, in this moment, when we stand before Jesus, the whole world, all of eternity, all of creation, all of humanity, there's going to be a revelation of what actually exists beneath the outer man. There's going to be a revelation. And if those who are not born again can give accounting for all the things that they've done good, all the things that they've done bad, and the accounting or the, the score is going to be not enough because this, the only acceptable score is perfection. And we realize as believers that we can't score a perfection. And so we need the life of someone else. We need someone else to come in and score perfection for us and put our faith in him so that his perfection becomes our perfection. That's what we need, and that's what we've done with Jesus. And so he's saying all of humanity is going to stand before God, and there's going to be a reckoning for what's been done in the flesh, whether in the body, uh, in the body whether good or bad. If you go back to Jesus' teaching on this in the book of Matthew, I think it's 18, he says that in that day, on this judgment, he's the same judgment here, he says that the sheep are going to be on my what? I think it's right, but I could be wrong. But I think it's right. The sheep will be on my right, that's why I'm a conservative. And the goats will be on my, that was, not, that was a joke, but the goats will be on my left. Not really. And he says to the ones on my left, the goats, depart from me into your destruction. But to the sheep on my right, enter in to your reward. So we shall all stand before the Lord, but it is those who have not placed their faith and trust in Christ who will be placed into destruction. 
Let's keep reading because he explains this perfectly. He says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord. In other words, knowing that there's more than just this flesh, knowing that there's something to come, he has given us, oh, we persuade men, sorry, knowing the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. In other words, we who have placed our faith and trust, we are revealed to him for who we truly are. And I hope that we are made, been, made, been made manifest also in your conscience. In other words, knowing what's going to happen when everything fades to black, knowing what's going to happen, knowing that judgment awaits, knowing that everyone will stand before the Lord who are still in the flesh, we, Paul says, are out here trying to share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone who will simply listen. We are out here trying to tell the people, trying to get them to see that there's something more to look at than the flesh, than the outer, than the body. There's a whole other kingdom, a whole other reality that's at stake that they just simply can't see. I mean, is Paul not saying we're here knowing this is to come? We're out here saying don't look at that which can be seen, but instead realize there's something so much more eternal over here that cannot be seen. And if you're not prepared for what cannot be seen, it doesn't really matter much at all what you do and what can be seen because that's just temporary anyways. And he says, for we again are not commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance, the outer, instead of those who take pride in the heart, the new man, the inner man. And remember, in this context, especially in Corinth, a lot of people from Jerusalem have come to town to say, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but... You've got to add some Judaism to that. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the Ten Commandments. You've got to do, do, do all these things in order to truly be born again. And so what Paul is saying, we're trying to give you the ability to ration with these people who are putting all their hope in the appearance, whether you have a foreskin or not, whether you are uh, becoming Jewish or not, the appearance, because that's not what is eternal. That is, what's the T word? Temporary. But we want you to see that there's something so much bigger going on in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, meaning if, if this sounds crazy, it is for God. But if we are sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And this is the unseen reality. When Jesus died, the entire Adamic race was plunged into death with Jesus. Remember what Jesus said just before the cross? He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Meaning when he was raised upon the cross in that moment, the entirety of the Adamic race was plunged into his death. So the question to me comes up, if all have died, if Jesus dying means that all have died, does this mean that all are born again, that all are saved? No, not at all. Paul explains that very clearly in verse 15. He says, "For and he died for all so that they who live. Well, who are those that live? Those who have believed. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. All were plunged into his death but only those who believe are, 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 are the ones who live. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, live for the interest of the body, but rather now for this whole new thing. This is that whole living by faith. No longer living for what can be seen, but now living for something that is unseen, something that is eternal, something that is within. For him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, this is crazy. This is, this is something unseen, but we've got to see it. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We recognize no one according to the outer man, to the body. In fact, we even uh, re recognize Christ at one time according to the flesh, but we recognize him that way no longer. No longer. So what does it mean to recognize somebody according to the flesh? Well, again, in that culture, they were Gentiles, and the gospel was only for the Jews at first. 
And so the Jews were coming to him saying, the Judaizers saying, if you really want Jesus, you've got to become a Jew because Christianity is really for the Jews. But, if, but we, you can come in, but you've got to become a Jew. And so Paul is saying, we don't recognize the flesh, the outer man, all this stuff of the outer man being Jew, Gentile, male, female, um, uh, Scythian, slave, uh, rich, poor, white, black, red, yellow, pink, whatever it is on the outside, that is of no consequence. That is of no value because all of that is just temporary. Because there's something so much more eternal going on that's at stake. We even consider Jesus according to the flesh. What does that mean? Jesus was considered at one time a what? Jewish man. Yeah. He said, we don't even see him that way anymore. It's not about his Judaism. It's not about his Jewishism. It's about the fact that he is now Lord of all. We look at him not according to the flesh. So it's not just for the Jew, but it is for everyone, everyone, everyone. There's something new that has come. Well, what is it, Paul, that new has come? Well, here's what new has come. If anyone is in this Christ, he is a new creature. The old things, everything that we once were in Adam have been passed away. Behold, new, the new things have come. This is so refreshing to me because I don't think that this new uh, creature in this context is just limited to the new heart because he's talking about a new body as well that's coming. Even that is new. Even that is going to replace what is old. But this idea of a new creature, a new creation, this word new, it's a very specific word in the Greek. It literally means new of, of a create, new of a source that has never existed before. You know, it's one thing if you've got a, you know, an old beat up truck and you take off the tailgate because it's got, and got beat up and you take it to the body shop and you, you, you work on it, you put some Bondo, you put some new paint on it, and it was like, wow, that thing is brand spent. It looks new, but it's not new. It was just the old beat up one that you kind of spit polished to make look new. That is not this word in the Greek. This word in the Greek is not the old kind of made a little bit better. This is a whole new existence. And this is the identity of who we really are. Christianity 101, Christianity all natural, no add-ons, is we now, if we're in Christ, we are a brand new creature, a brand new person. Not the old you from Adam kind of spit polished and made a little bit better, but a whole new man, a whole new person. The old has gone and the new has come. And if we could wrap our minds around that to believe the truth, walking by faith in who we actually are when we walk in this world, it will make a, it'll be a whole lot easier because we're defining ourselves not according to what can be seen, but that which is unseen. And let's finish up this last few verses because we're going to see one of the most beautiful scenes that you could ever imagine. He says, now all these things are from God. All this, this unseen reality, this new creation, it's all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is just a big term that means to bring into balance, to bring into one, okay? We kind of do it maybe back in the day before online banking with our checking accounts. We'd reconcile accounts, our checking account, you know, balancing your checking account so that what went out matches what came in and you've got it all even in your checking account. What reconciliation simply means is whatever is outstanding over here ends up matching what's over here. And what Jesus is, or Paul is saying, Jesus through Paul is saying that God himself has reconciled us to himself. Everything that was outstanding, everything that didn't fit, everything that was, was, that stood in the way, God, all this is from God. He did this work. Now look at this. And he gave Paul the ministry of reconciliation, meaning he took this message saying, look at what Jesus has done so that you can get in on it by grace through faith. And, and he defines it. And this is, this is a scene that I want us to see, namely, and he, here's he's defining this reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Now look at this in red. Look at this. Because we're not going to hear this in most 
messages and most churches and most teaching. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them. What's a trespass? That's another word for sin. God was in Christ Jesus. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, where was God? God was in Christ Jesus. So often we get the idea when Jesus says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? We get this idea, and I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but like, that God is way over there and Jesus is kind of left to himself. But what Paul is making a very, very specific is that as Jesus hung on the cross, God was hanging on the cross. God was in that body reconciling the world to himself so that he would no longer count sins. And that is so hard for us to believe because we look at the outer man. We look at the flesh. We look at the body of sin that lives in the flesh. But what Paul is saying is, wake up, guys. Wake up. There's a whole new reality, a reality that is within a whole new kingdom that has come that is now within the inner man. And one day the outer man will fade away completely and, the, and will be housed with the perfected outer man that is as joined to Jesus as our, new man, or our inner man is. But if we don't see this beautiful scene of God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting sins anymore, then we're going to miss the whole glory of the gospel. And this is the message that he's communicating. He has committed to us, us, Paul and his cohorts, he's committed this message to us, this word of reconciliation. He has given us a behind-the-scenes look at what has really happened in this unseen reality. That's why I'm begging you, and don't look at what is seen, because what is seen is going to dupe you. It's going to distract you from something else that is unseen, something that you have to believe by faith, that God, namely, was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself so that he would no longer count sins. Does that mean that every single person that is born, is born again, is a believer? No. But it means that in Christ all died. And it is now Paul crying out to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to all who would hear, look at what God has done so that as you believe what he has done for you, well, we'll just read it here. We are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador, that means we don't live, we're not of your world. We have been sent from another world, God himself, to share this message with you as though God himself were making an appeal through us. You see the, the passion of Paul. We beg you, we plead with you on behalf of Christ himself. It's like Christ himself is right here crying to you, be reconciled to him. He has reconciled you to him. He has removed everything that stands in the way, not even counting sins anymore. And we beg you to see what you can't see. We're begging you to look at something you can't look at and believe it and be reconciled to him. How are they? How are, is anyone? How, are, how were we reconciled to God? By faith. Remember, we walk by faith not by sight, is by believing what he's actually done. It's by faith. It's by believing something we cannot see. It's by looking not at what is seen, but that which is unseen. Verse 21, the last verse, he summarizes it again. Be reconciled to God, because look at what he's done. He, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin. He made Jesus who knew no sin. He never committed a single sin. Sin didn't even live in his flesh for he was born of a virgin. He made him who knew no sin to actually be sin on our behalf on the cross. He made the body of Christ. Jesus said, you have prepared a body for me, a body to bear the sin of the world into himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, not just to be covered with sin or to, be, to, to, to carry our sin, but he made Jesus to actually be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So how are we made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? By being reconciled to him. How are we reconciled to him? by believing him, by faith, by trusting him. 
What I want us to see is this most beautiful scene that you could ever imagine. We've got some pretty awesome sunsets here in Crozet across the mountain. I mean, they're pretty awesome. I know we've got a lot of family from the valley. But look, you might have some good sunsets too, but we've, we've got some awesome ones across the mountain. It's amazing. It's a beautiful scene. But what I'm trying to tell you is there is a beautiful scene that cannot be seen with our human eyeballs. It is the most beautiful scene of all when God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the whole world to himself, doing a work in one, what was it, three-hour period on the cross, whatever it was, that none of us could ever do in a million lifetimes, where the result is God is no longer counting sins. The work is finished. Jesus said to tell us, die, it is done. It is finished. He has reconciled the world. Something you can't see, but it's something that's done. And Paul is begging whoever will read to believe something you cannot see. Our journey marker this morning is simply, if we see, a journey marker, that's just for our new folk, is boil it all down into a thought so we can kind of, you know, wrap our mind around it a little bit better. If we only see what can be seen, okay, with the eyeball, if we only see what can be seen, then we are missing out on the most beautiful scene of all. Do you see that? If we go through life only seeing what we can see with our eyeballs, then we're going to miss out on the most beautiful scene of all, the gospel, God in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. To which we might say, hey, I'm not so sure about, you know, God not counting sins anymore. Well, listen, we're not God. He makes the rules, not us. He's no longer counting sins. The counting of sins is done. It was finished in Jesus. What's now counted, what's now being counted, what's being counted now is faith. Will I not find faith when I return? So here's what we've seen today. What have we seen? Number one, walking in faith, walking by faith is believing something you cannot see to the point that you live it here and now. That's what's pleasing to God. We can't see it, but we believe it so much that we're actually willing to live it here and now. Number two, just as our inner man is already one with Jesus, what we saw was that one day we'll have a body that is just as one with Jesus, which might even be, let's leave room for this, Jesus himself. He might even be our body. Remember how he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you may be also. Maybe this place isn't some sort of big fancy mansion. You know, my mansion's bigger than your mansion. Maybe the place that he's preparing is himself so that we can be with him in person, in body. Number three, what do we see today? When everything fades to black, everyone will see the unseen, but it will be too late for those who do not believe prior. When everything fades to black, everyone's going to see the reality, but it'll be too late for those who don't. That's why he's begging, he's pleading to see this beautiful scene that you can't see with your eyes. Knowing this, knowing, oh, sorry, number four, knowing this, we can boldly proclaim the most beautiful scene of all and encourage and beg and plead anybody who would listen to believe it as well. And then lastly, we didn't get into this too much because of time, but that last verse, verse 21, says that we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you were to take your righteousness and put it on this side of the old, you know, scale, and you were to put the righteousness of Jesus on this side of the scale, when I say your righteousness, I mean you're, you're, as a new creation, as a believer. You put your new righteousness on this side of the scale, who you are, don't see what's seen, but look at what is unseen, and you place the righteousness of Christ on this side of the scale, what happens to the balance? equal is that any of your doing you better say no 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 what's our phrase nay nay shenay nay it is nothing of you it is all of him isn't that our phrase i don't know i like that phrase it is equal we would want to say oh his righteousness far outweighs our own no it is his righteousness that he has given you you're looking at what is seen, not at what is unseen. And so upon faith, our righteousness equals his righteousness, for he gave it. He gave his to us in the new heart. Father, I pray for your spirit to reveal these things to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the unseen. 
Give us the courage, as Paul talked about. We have this courage to actually believe something that we cannot see with our eyeballs. It is foolishness to the unbeliever. It's foolishness. But to us, it is the very reason for living. It is the hope of life. So, Father, I pray that we would look beyond, look within, and look and see what you've really made us to be with the great expectation of one day the outer will match the inner. It doesn't now, but one day it will. You've given us even the Spirit as a seal to promise that. But, Father, all will stand before you and be paid for what's been done in the body. Knowing this, let us cry out into the darkness with the light of Jesus, declaring the truth that the sin accounting is done with because of Jesus. And if we would but believe, the only thing that remains, faith in the Son of God. Father, help us to believe what is unbelievable. Help us to be bold in the truth of the gospel with no add-ons. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.